0: Part one, chapter two of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Anna Pavlovna's drawing room gradually began to be filled. The highest aristocracy of Petersburg came, people most widely differing in age and character, but alike in that they all belonged to the same class of society. Prince Vasili's daughter, the beautiful Ellen, came, in order to go with her father to the ambassador's reception. She was in ball toilette, and wore the imperial decoration. There came also the little, young Princess Bolkonskaya, known as the most fascinating woman in Petersburg. She had been married during the past winter, and now, owing to her expectations, had ceased to appear at large entertainments, but still went to small receptions. Prince Ippolet, prince vasili's son came with Montmart, whom he was introducing to society the abbe morio and many others also came have you seen my aunt yet or do you know my aunt asked anna pavlovna of her guests as they came in and with perfect seriousness she would lead them up to a little old lady wearing tremendous bows who had sailed out from the next room the moment the guests began to arrive and she presented them by name, deliberately looking from guest to aunt, and then going back to her place again. All the guests had to go through the formality of an introduction to this superfluous aunt, whom no one knew or cared to know. Anna Pavlovna, with a melancholy, rapturous expression of sympathetic approval, silently listened to their exchange of formalities. Montante spoke to all newcomers in precisely the same terms about their health, her own health, and the health of her majesty, which was better to-day, thank God. All those who fell into her clutches, though from politeness they showed no undue haste, made their escape with the consciousness of relief at having accomplished a disagreeable duty, and took pains not to stay near the old lady, or to come into her vicinity again during the evening. The young princess Bolkonskaya came, bringing some work in a gold-embroidered velvet bag her pretty little upper lip, just shaded by an almost imperceptible down, was rather alert, but all the more fascinating when it displayed her teeth, and more fascinating still when she drew it down a little and closed it against the underlip. As is always the case with perfectly charming women, her defect of a short lip and a half-open mouth seemed like a peculiar distinction and an addition to her beauty." It was a delight for all to look at this beautiful young woman so full of health and life, and so gracious with the promise of coming motherhood. Old men, and surly young men, soured before their time, as they looked at her, seemed to become like her, after being in her presence and talking with her for a little time. Whoever spoke with her and saw her bright smile, and her shining white teeth, displayed at every word, was sure to go away with the impression that he had been unusually agreeable that day and everyone felt the same. The young princess, with her work-bag in her hand, making her way along with short, quick steps, passed around the table, and joyously disposing her dress, sat down on the sofa near the silver samovar, as though all that she did was partie de pésir for herself and all around her. "'I have brought my work,' she said in French, opening her reticule and addressing the whole company. "'Now see here, Annette,' "'Don't play a naughty trick upon me,' she went on to say, turning to the hostess. "'You wrote me that it was to be a little informal soiree. See, how unsuitably I am dressed!' And she spread out her arm so as to display her elegant grey gown, trimmed with lace and belted high with a wide ribbon. "'Soyez tranquille, Lise,' replied Anna Pavlovna. "'You will always be the most beautiful of all.' "'You know my husband is deserting me,' continued the young princess, still in French.' and addressing a general. He is going to meet his death. Tell me, why this wretched war, she added, this time speaking to Prince Vasily, and without waiting for his rejoinder, she had some remark to make to Prince Vasily's daughter, the handsome Ellen. Quelle d'alessias personne, que cette petite whispered Prince Vasily to Anna Pavlovna. Shortly after the young princess's arrival, a huge, stout young man came in. His head was close-cropped, He had on eyeglasses, and wore stylish light trousers, an immense frill, and a cinnamon-coloured coat. This stout young man was the illegitimate son of Count Bezukhoi, a famous grandee of Catherine's time, and now lying at the point of death in Moscow. He had not as yet entered any branch of the service, having just returned from abroad, where he had been educated, and this was his first appearance in society. Anna Pavlovna welcomed him with a nod reserved for men of the very least importance in the hierarchy of her salon. But notwithstanding this greeting, almost contemptuous in its way, Anna Pavlovna's face, as Pierre came toward her, expressed anxiety and dismay such as one experiences at the sight of anything too huge and out of place. Pierre was indeed rather taller than anyone else in the room. But the princess's dismay could have been caused only by the young man's intelligent, and at the same time diffident, glance, so honest and keen that it distinguished him from every one else in the room. "'It is very kind of you, Monsieur Pierre, to come and see a poor invalid,' said Anna Pavlovna, looking up in alarm from her aunt, to whom she was conducting him. Pierre blurted out some incoherent reply, and continued to let his eyes wander around the assembly. With a gay, rapturous smile he bowed to the little princess as though she were an intimate friend.' and was led up to the aunt. Anna Pavlovna's alarm was justified, for Pierre did not wait for the old lady to finish her discourse about Her Majesty's health, but left her in the midst of it. Anna Pavlovna, in dismay, tried to detain him with the words, "'Do you know the Abbe Morio?' she asked. "'He is a very interesting man.' "'Yes. I have heard of his plan for a perpetual peace, and it is very interesting, but hardly feasible.' do you think so said anna pavlovna for the sake of saying something and once more returning to her duties as hostess but pierre was now guilty of an incivility of an opposite nature before he had left a lady without allowing her to finish speaking now he detained another lady and made her listen to him though she wished to leave him bending his head down and spreading his long legs he began to show anna pavlovna why he conceived that the Abbe's plan was chimerical We will talk about that, by and by, said Anna Pavlovna, with a smile. And having turned away from this young man who did not know the ways of polite society, she once more devoted herself to her duties as hostess, and continued to listen and look on, ready to lend her aid whenever conversation was beginning to flag. Just as the proprietor of a spinning establishment, who has stationed his workmen at their places, walks up and down on his tour of inspection, and when he notices any spindle that has stopped, or that makes an unusually loud or creaking noise hastens to it and checks it or sets it going in its proper rote even so anna pavlovna as she walked up and down her drawing-room came to some group that was silent or that was talking too excitedly and by a single word or a silent transposition she set the talking machine in regular decorous running order again but while she was occupied with these labours it could be seen that she was all the time in a special dread of pierre She watched him anxiously while he went to listen to what was said in the circle around Montmartre, and then joined another group, where the abbé was discoursing. For Pierre, who had been educated abroad, this reception at Anna Pavlovna's was the first introduction to society in Russia. He knew that all the intellect of Petersburg was gathered here, and like a child in a toy show, he kept his eyes open. He was all the time afraid of missing some clever conversation that might interest him— As he saw the assured and refined expressions on the faces of those gathered here, he was ever on the lookout for something especially intellectual. He had finally come to where Morio was. The conversation seemed to him interesting, and he stood there waiting a chance to air his opinions, as young men are fond of doing. End of chapter 2